Hey, Love Tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14-day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up or you're a newly coupled and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other, the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at idopodcast.com slash 14 with our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-Day Challenge will help you break the old habits and build new engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to idopodcast.com slash 14. That's idopodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. What's going on? Thanks for tuning in. We hope you guys are having a wonderful day. We have a great show for you today where we talk with Dr. Margaret Rutherford about shame. And Sarah's going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Margaret. Well, Margaret has been a psychologist in a private practice for over 25 years, and she recently released her book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. She released that in November, and we had a great conversation with her today. Yeah, I found a lot of value in it in understanding how guilt can turn into shame and Really to work on not having so much self-criticism and because it can negatively affect myself and my relationship. So she gives us the tools to recognize shame and how to release it and how to support a partner that may be experiencing uh, these issues. I think a lot of people feel this at one point or another. So a lot of value in today's show. And as always, we appreciate you guys so much for listening, sharing the podcast with your friends and family, leaving us those five-star reviews, and then checking out our website. We have a ton of free resources on our website, including the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge, all the free guides that we have that correspond with a lot of our episodes out there, as well as links to our podcast course, Spark My Relationship. Uh, We have $100 off for our podcast listeners. So we hope you guys visit our website, idpodcast.com and check out um, all that free stuff we got for you guys. And we hope you guys enjoy today's episode. 
Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for ID Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Margaret. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Sarah. I'm really delighted to be here. Today, we're going to talk about shame and how it can affect us individually and in a relationship. So why don't we start by having you tell us what shame is, what it looks like, and how it can negatively express itself with others. Sure, Chase. I I understand that, that people get that confused a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the distinction between guilt and shame. I think that's a helpful place to start. Guilt is a feeling that you have of remorse, of regret. Maybe you blame yourself for something that you did or said or um, chose, you know, chose to ignore whatever your particular mistake or something you regret was, then you feel guilty about that. It's, it's kind of like a good conscience. You know, you, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing because it may cause you to apologize. It may cause you to rethink your behavior. It, you know, it can certainly act to uh, remind you of your own checks and balances. And so, it's 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 a it's it's about a behavior it's about something you did or said shame however is about making that regret about you meaning that let's say i was late onto this call and i feel guilt about that and i say i'm so sorry chase and sarah i was had a really hectic morning and i'm sorry we're getting started late um and i'm sure that was an inconvenience for you that's my guilt talking Shame will tell me in this sort of insidious uh, <laughs> voice it has, will say, well, Margaret, you were a terrible guest because you were late. In fact, you know what? They shouldn't have even really interviewed you on that podcast. You just don't deserve to be interviewed. And so I am making that mistake about me as a person who I am, whether it's my job, whether it's my role in the family, whether it's as a son, a daughter, a mother, you know, whatever it could be. And so it's, it becomes very personal. And unfortunately, what shame can do when you carry it around with you for years and years, it can actually, um, it can actually help destroy your sense of self-esteem to where you you don't even basically what it does it distorts your view of yourself so much and it diminishes you so much that you can begin to lose your drive or your hope to do things that are helpful for you that are constructive that are productive because you are literally have this ball and chain of shame that you feel for things you did 5 years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago and i often see this in so many of my patients who come in and They've taken responsibility for something, whether that's distorted or not, in fact. And they've said, I've never been able to live through that. I've never been able to let go of that. That's something that I um, 
wish I hadn't done, or I hurt other people, or I disappointed my parents, or I disappointed myself, or I got divorced, or I, you know, I, I, I was, I blamed, I mean, from the smallest of things, or, you know, somewhat small, it's not necessarily small to you, but you attribute that to your own worth. And it can be very, very damaging. Are there situational instances that create shame within people or is it more like a personality characteristic that is developed based on the way somebody was raised or their childhood? Um, That's a great question. I would say probably um, not to sound too fuzzy and, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, not taking a distinct, uh, not giving you a distinct opinion, but I, I think that's yes and yes. I think there are certain personality styles um, that are a little more prone to self-criticism and self-loathing. Some of the um, some of the people who might struggle with borderline personality disorder, for example, really struggle with self-criticism, and so um, they are constantly fighting that. However, you can also be reared in a family where you do something wrong and it's it's seen as it's either exaggerated in its importance or you're basically told you know you're just not as lovable because you did that you're you're loved conditionally rather than unconditionally and so you can begin to take on this sense of you know perfectionism or that you can't do anything wrong because you'll be uh you, the the love for you will be used up and gone and so you can de- you can develop this sense of fear that you live in and and you're trying so hard not to do anything shameful that you really start living a very limited perfectionistic life. Again, you know, guilt is something that has a beginning, a middle and an end. Shame does not. Shame is something that if you begin to carried around with you can literally last for years and years. I had a supervisor many years ago. I actually didn't like him very much. I was getting my training in Dallas, Texas, and he was your pretty typical uh, 1980s, late 80s Texan. And he sort of swaggered in and his boots and his big belt. And he'd actually written some very good books. So he, there was a, he had some right to swagger, (laughs) (laughs) but um, he said to our class, um, he said, Shame is a helpful emotion if it lasts for 10 seconds and leads to a a change of behavior. And at the time, I didn't think he was right. I had been reared in a family where no one really got angry. But, you know, if if your parents were disappointed in you, then that was the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I I listened to that and I thought, oh, no, that's just too simplistic. I've been a therapist now for over 25 years, and I totally agree with this man that now the 10 seconds is a little dramatic, but basically um, shame only tends to cause you to almost justify bad behavior. If you're ashamed of drinking, for example, you think you drink too much, you heap on the shame onto yourself. This is really true of any addiction, and you're more likely to drink than you would if you said, okay, you know, I've had this history of over drinking or overeating or whatever it happens to be, lying, gambling, whatever. And you, you've done it too much. Then you say, okay, how do I want to let this change my behavior? And you use it as motivation 
And it almost sort of morphs into guilt where you, you don't make it about you as a terrible person. You make it about that, yes, you've made a mistake and that you can take responsibility for that mistake. You can understand the impact it's had on you and others. I know this is a podcast all about relationships. So all this shame has an effect on the person who's trying to love you too. And you can begin to, to address it and say, okay, you know, how do I want to, I'm going to learn from my shame. I'm going to learn from this voice that says to me, you know, you would probably not do that again if you could take it back. And so, in fact, you wouldn't do it again if you could take it back. So you have to use that shame to help you become more of the person you want to be, but not let it weigh you down so much where you adopt this, you know, I will never be able to make up for these mistakes. This is a great groundwork for the distinction between guilt and shame and understanding how it can positively influence us and negatively. So thank you for that distinction and laying the foundation here. So what would you tell someone who recognizes their their guilt or shame and is having trouble releasing it? right? This is the practice because it's like, it's okay to feel that it kind of means we're human. And, but it seems like we, we just don't want to be holding on to that or defining ourselves by it. So what are some practices we can do individually to, to release that guilt or shame? Well, a lot of therapy is really about trying to help people do this. There, there are loads of people, multitudes of people who believe that shame is the same thing as a good conscience. And there are even some institutions in our culture that teach that, that you should be ashamed of yourself and that you are inferior and less than. Now, I'm not talking about uh, not, again, not understanding the impact of your actions, but um, there are many ways of addressing shame, actually, Chase. Um, I think that you have to have compassion for yourself. You know, for example, if a friend told you, someone you really love said, you know, I, I was driving a car when I was 16 and I had an accident and the person who was in the car with me got hurt badly. And I've never been able to let that go. You would probably look at them and say, oh, I'm so sorry. That was a terrible thing. And, and yet, you know, you, you, you didn't, intend to do that. That was not your intention. That was not your, you didn't set out on that car ride to say, gosh, I'm not going to drive very carefully because, you know, I've got this passenger or maybe you were, you know, again, we get back to drink. Maybe you were drinking or maybe you weren't driving well. You are also 16 years old. So it's about having compassion for yourself and realizing that if you just sit there and, and, and absorb that shame all your life, then you won't use it constructively. Um, I've dealt with many people through the years who have, I, I myself have done things, many things that I've regretted and, and feel guilt and or shame about. But what I recognized um, in my own life, for example, is that I kind of stayed in shame for almost a decade. I kept making mistake after mistake after mistake and hurting myself and hurting other people, making bad relationship choices, for example. And it wasn't until I started seeing that shame was actually hurting me 
um, and that I had to have that same kind of compassion for myself. I'm not letting myself off the hook. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, I can understand and I can forgive myself and blah, blah, blah. It's you still are you're you're taking the responsibility, but you are you're meeting it out with some kind of compassion. So that's one step. You also can begin to realize that everything in your life has made you who you are, the part of you that you like, the part of you that you're not so proud of, but that everything in your life has caused you, again, to have your your own self, your personality, your strengths, and your vulnerabilities. Renee Brown talks a lot, of course, she's done some fantastic research about shame and how when you begin to address the things you feel shame about, you actually also really get in touch with your own vulnerability. Um, the people who don't want to think about anything they're ashamed of or are scared to go back and think about those things that they may feel bad about don't want to feel vulnerable. And she talks a lot about, and actually I do in my own um, book at this point, talks a lot about how that can, again, make you want try to become very perfectionistic and that you don't reveal any vulnerability. And what you have to do is, well, you can choose to do, you don't have to do it. What you can choose to do instead is saying, of course, I am vulnerable. I was vulnerable as a child. I'm vulnerable as an adult. Um, being vulnerable, my, whatever my vulnerabilities have been and are, they don't define me any more than my strengths do. I use this as an example frequently. You know, I have three letters after my name. I'm a PhD. I went to graduate school. I'm very proud of that. I, uh, uh, I had been a professional singer in my 20s, and I turned, mm-hmm. <laughs> I turned that boat around and, um, in eight or nine years, and, and that was an interesting journey in and of itself. But um, I've got those three letters after my name. Okay. I also have been divorced twice. I'm now enjoying a almost 30-year marriage, but I made some bad mistakes in that, what I was calling before, that shameful decade. And that's a fact about me. I have been divorced twice. What I've come to realize is that, and I, and I try to help many of my patients realize that, those, those vulnerabilities, those mistakes, those things that I feel, I felt shame and certainly now feel guilt, some, some guilt about, is that that doesn't define me any more than my strengths do. Any, it doesn't define me any more than the things that I am proud for people to know. I used to have this tapestry, I'll call it, hanging in my office and it had, it was really, uh, I got in Romania on a college uh, choir tour that we were on and when Romania was still a communist country and it meant a lot to me and it was fairly brightly colored, but there was a prominent black thread all through it that would kind of come and go in the tapestry. And I would have my patients look at it and say, okay, what color is this tapestry? And they would say, oh, sort of bronze it's it's got it's got some deep hues of green it's got sort of azure blues in it and I would say you didn't call it black and they'd say well I see the black in it but the black doesn't oh you know it it's not a black tapestry and I would use that metaphorically to say and that's how your life is there are things that you feel guilt for that you feel shame for but they actually 
cause you to to feel more deeply the things that you're proud of, the things that you are glad are in your life, the blessings in your life. That they they compare and contrast. We are there is not a human being walking on this earth that has not done things that they feel guilt or shame about. And or they if they don't, there's a problem. <laughs> and so, you know, we are we are all a, a combination um, of those things. And I think to begin to, um, to begin to try to actually, if you have a habit of shaming yourself, to begin to recognize that revealing your vulnerability to other people and saying, for example, I, I'm, I'm not a patient pers- person personally. I'm patient with my patients, <laughs> I hope, but I'm not patient very much as a person, my son kids me if we're waiting in a grocery line, you know, and I'll just be shifting my weight foot to foot. He'll go, mom, you've got a plane to catch. What's going on? So, and I'm not very proud of that. But if I just say, yes, impatience is a vulnerability of mine. And I can accept that rather than not necessarily resign myself to it. But if I can accept it, say, yeah, that's just not something I'm particularly proud of about myself. Then I accept the fact that it is a vulnerability and I don't have to feel shame for it. I may want to change it. I may want to try to, you know, tweak it some so I'm not so impatient with myself, but I don't have to be ashamed of it. And that's what I think a lot of people are struggling with. They, they think that their, their vulnerabilities actually do not, uh, are not helpful to, to reveal or admit and so we've got this, we've got all this social media stuff that's going on where people certainly don't put anything up that, um, what is it? The, there's a phrase called, it's, the, it's the, the, the highlights of my life or the, or the, um, the real, the, I've forgotten what the term is, but anyway, it's, you know, the highlight reel, I guess it's called. And, and that's what we let people see rather than the things that we really are struggling with or things that we wish were different. Well, thank you for that beautiful metaphor with the tapestry in the personal stories. I think that's really helpful for for us and our listeners to understand how shame exhibits itself and how we can deal with it. And how can we work with our partner? Let's say if our partner is exhibiting a lot of shame towards themselves or vice versa. If we're feeling a lot of shame, how can we communicate with our partner about this and how can we support each other? Well, I think that um, when, when you've been attracted to someone in your life and they are dealing with a lot of shame, it may be that you have a situation where they're sort of lost and they feel as if they've lost control of their life and that they need you to believe in them. Unfortunately, this we may be sort of thinking about a, a victim-savior kind of dynamic where someone who's really shaming themselves and staying angry or bitter with themselves may not have a life that is very happy. And so what can happen? Somebody can, you know, ride up and say, I'll save you. I'll help you feel better about yourself. And they try to. Um, if they're successful, what can happen is that the person who's the victim kind of gets tired of being the victim and the savior gets tired of not being um, appreciated for saving. Um, so, you know, I, 
the people who are attracted to people who um, are really struggling with shame can sometimes think that their love can can save them, their love can fix them, their love can um, help them see themselves more clearly. And of course, being loved by someone well can address, you know, if you're feeling awful about yourself, of course, you know, your partner looks at you and says, you know, you're making that into way bigger deal than it really is. Uh, yeah, you were rude at the party or you were having an off night or, or something, but you don't have to beat yourself up for it. I mean, they can help you normalize that, but they can't really do that work for you. Um, if you have the tendency to shame yourself about things, then that's really something you've got to work on as an individual. Um, and if you, you know, I talk a lot about my, uh, y'all know that I've written a book called Perfectly Hidden Depression. And a lot of times I will get, I will get emails from um, both husbands and wives who will say to me, I have never seen my partner cry. I have never seen them have any kind of emotional pain, show any kind of emotional distress. Even if their parent dies or their best friend moves away, I never see it because you've got to realize that when we're scared, when when we listen too much to shame, when we let shame be in our ear constantly and, and nag us and, and, um, and, and um, actually denigrate us or, or, loathe us and say loathing things into our, our, our inner ears or speak our inner voices, then we often have to cover that up. And we cover that up with a perfect looking life. We cover that up with believing that um, things are, I, I must make them look wonderful and excellent. You know, again, there are also things Chase and Sarah, that happened to people in their childhoods, sexual abuse and any kind of abuse being one of those, that they absorb the shame of that. Um, That's not, they shouldn't, but they do. I've never worked with a sexual abuse victim that hasn't absorbed the shame. They think that somehow they should have stopped it or could have stopped it or, you know, they, they have carried around the shame for years. And so, you know, what is often they'll do in the in order to try to fix that is again have this perfect looking life, this life that is devoid of any kind of emotional pain. And those their partners will write me and say, Well, I see this, but how do I approach it? Um, they will say to me, you know, I'm just not a crier, or I um I'm scared if I started crying, I'd never stop, or something like that. Because what they are doing is that they, they're listening to the shame that they have in their inner, inner world, but they, their strategy to handle that is not to be depressed about it or not to, in fact, quite the opposite. They will look like there's absolutely nothing wrong. You know, you, in classic depression, a lack of self-esteem and self-worth, and that goes along with shame, of course is is part of the definition. People with classic depression, traditional depression, really often struggle with shame. And again, you know, my experience is that you can love them, but you can't fix their depression. That is a very individualized kind of effort. But if the opposite is true, and they have this, what I'm calling an overlooked presentation of depression, which is, you know, 
perfectly hidden, then what you'll see is someone who cannot access any of their emotional pain. It's just too scary. They have compartmentalized it and pushed it away so much that they are living in this perfect looking bubble and that they work very, very hard to create, sometimes not even knowing what they're doing. So you can have it either way. You can have been, you might have chosen someone who really struggles with self-loathing and a sense of self-esteem and they shame themselves all the time and they're more classically depressed or they may have panic disorder or something because they're they're so anxious about the fact that they can't seem to, um, they can't, they have this, these mental and emotional issues that are just, just plague them. But I've seen so many people try to rush in and save and it just doesn't work. What you can say to them is, I'm so sad that you don't seem to be enjoying our life together. Or I see you really struggle with keeping so much um, responsibility onto yourself for things that just aren't your responsibility. There there are plenty of reasons. I'm working with a couple right now that have had a, um, their, their child has been attracted to an abusive person. And one of them is, just blaming herself, saying, I was a bad parent. That's the only reason this happened. And part of our work has been, no, there were, yes, you were influential, but there were also many other influences that caused your daughter to make this choice. So you can make these mental errors, and that's a cognitive behavioral kind of uh, approach, where if you can help someone understand these mental errors they're making, that sometimes their shame can lift. But they have to do that work themselves. They have to allow it. And then if there's this situation that I've been more passionate about the last few years where they're, they don't let any pain show, then that can just as much indicate that at their core, they're very, very shameful and they're listening to a lot of shame in their inner voice, but they would never look like it and would never talk about it because it's, That's their protective strategy to try to deal with it. But before we continue on, we want to tell you about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Trivia Star. Do you and your partner want to keep your mind sharp and have some fun? If trivia keeps you on your toes and entertained, then you need to check out Trivia Star. It's a great way to test yourself and have some fun. Trivia Star is a free mobile quiz game that has been entertaining and challenging for us to play, especially right now when we are spending a lot more time indoors and doing less activities. You can choose from categories like music, sports, movies, TV, animals, and celebrities, and there are over 60 different categories to choose from. So there's always more trivia to explore. If you choose a correct answer from the multiple choices and beat the clock, you move on to the next level. And the questions get harder over time. But if you get stuck, don't worry. You can use coins and gems to get a hint and beat the level. And I've been using plenty of those to help me beat the levels. Cheating maybe a little bit, but it's part of the game. <laughs> you don't know the answers? Um, most of the time I do, but occasionally I use, I use my gems and coins and <laughs> Trivia Star has 2,000 five-star reviews in the Apple store. 
So right now, Trivia Star is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. Just go to the Apple or the Google Store and search for Trivia Star. Again, search Trivia Star and enjoy 2,500 coins and 500 gems. Download Trivia Star for free today. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. We share a lot of great relationship advice on this show, but there's really no better way to grow both personally and in your relationship than working with a therapist. BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can communicate with your therapist via text, chat, phone, and video. And you can choose from over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in relationships, depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, anger, and so many more areas. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And anything you share is confidential. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of the podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash I do. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash I do. How can we encourage a partner who's not letting their emotions show to open up or to seek therapy and and be supportive of them without them being defensive uh, when we encourage that. <laughs> well, again, I I I get this question a lot from people, and you know, you you just use your phrase, "How can I get my partner?" That's that's the that's the. That's the issue. You can't get your partner. Now, I will tell you this, that often if you go into therapy yourself to talk about how this has affected you, your partner might just get curious and say, well, why are you going into therapy? And you can say, because I don't know how to help you. And I see you struggle and I see you get mad with yourself. I see you be harsh with yourself. I see you... um, only looking at the things in yourself that you think are less than or inferior. And you just, you know, that's hard for me. And I, it's caused me, you know, to where I, I want to look at how I can better myself because I, maybe I do the same thing or maybe, you know, and so you actually can invite someone into the therapeutic process by saying, I need some help with this. Um, because as I say, some of these issues actually, are highly connected with people who have some really serious issues going on in their, in their personalities and character. They may have been horribly abused as children, or they may have had experiences that have really marred them. And they basically have this, you know, very, an empty sense of self, or they're really struggling with who they are. Um, And those people can be challenging to try to love. So you might need help with that, but how the only thing you can really do is say how watching your partner struggle is what's that like for you? 
so they don't get as defensive. Because I promise you, if you walk in and say, you know, you just never say anything good about yourself. You are always, you know, deriding yourself for things you haven't gotten done instead of noticing all the things you have gotten done that, you know, I don't know how to help you. Or if you but if you use that sort of you language, then they're going to say, yes, I do. I, I look at those things. I don't know what you're talking about. Versus saying, sometimes I watch you struggle so much and I get sad and I get scared because I don't know how to help. And that kind of language is far better, far healthier to use with someone who, you know, you can't stop the defensiveness, but at least you can try to, as we'd say in Arkansas, there are lots of ways around the barn. And so, (laughs) you know, you can try to approach them differently. Well, thank you, Margaret. Those are some valuable tips for addressing the situation and helping understand shame for ourselves and for our partners. And obviously there's a ton to unpack here. And I think we did a good job of getting to the base of these themes. Before we go into the bonus round of questions, are there any things you want to emphasize or maybe that we skipped over before we move forward? Well, you're right. Shame is a a huge topic because it can have so many beginnings. Uh, it could be in neglect. It could be in abuse. It can be in, um, oh goodness, it can be a cultural thing. It can be a family uh, dynamic. Um, there's just a lot of ways that shame can um, be created. It can be because, of, again, as we talked about sort of early on about mistakes you make and not being able to be compassionate with yourself. So it, it is a huge topic. And um, I, I don't, I don't it, it's hard for me even to embrace the idea of what did we, what did we necessarily skip over? Because I think it's, it's, there, there's some wonderful books about it. Again, I would, I would reference Dr. Brene Brown's work, The Gifts of Imperfection, um, Daring Greatly. And I think, I hope, of course, uh, that um, at, at least if you have the strategy of trying to um, quiet your own inner shame through perfectionism that you might, uh, you know, you might try my book and see if it's helpful to you. I do have a lot of exercises in it that actually are guides to help you do that. It's, uh, it's, I always focus on what you can do about it. (laughs) Well, thank you. And we'll be sure to have the links to your book and the other resources you mentioned in the show notes. So thank you for that, Margaret. Let's go on to the bonus round of questions, and we'll start with what is one daily tip that's actionable that people can use to help improve their relationship? You know, I like to I like to suggest that people ask themselves one question, and that is, well, actually, they ask this of each other. Like before the weekend or before the day, you can say, what would you like to get done today? that I could help you with. So often we're so busy with jobs, with kids, with trying to handle the anxiety of these times of just, you know, we forget, we, we can get into living parallel lives, you know, where you're just focused on what you have to do on what, you know, is in front of you, what's on your plate. And we can forget that that sense of interdependence is really important. So, you know, 
at just taking the five seconds it takes to say, what's on your plate today that I could help you with? And you both, you both give that and you receive that from your partner. And it can, it can sit, you can build your sense of trust and alliance that I just think is so important. What is one book or resource that you would recommend for couples? I love this book by Dr. Pat Love and Steve Shrosky is his name. And it's called How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It, which actually men, most, a lot of men love the name of that book. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a book about gender differences and how uh, what women and men long for the most. With men, they long for affirmation. And there's a lot of research that, that, um, that backs this up. They long for affirmation. They're a good provider. They're a good father. They're a good husband. Um, women long for being known. We fear loneliness more than anything as a gender again. And these are stereotypical, but again, research backs it up. And so what could happen is that when, and of course, where this gets started is um, very different. I mean, it could be either the man or the woman, but let's say the woman comes to uh, the man and says, um, I'm really angry or disappointed that blah, 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 blah. Well, the man, again, stereotypically, the man will hear that like I'm a failure rather than she's just trying to talk to me and he will withdraw or he'll get defensive or something. Well, that very withdrawal and that defensiveness causes the woman to be lonely. And so she ramps up <laughs> and repeats herself in a louder voice and the man feels, so anyway, I'm oversimplifying, but it's a great book. It has wonderful exercises and questionnaires. It's very hands-on and it approaches it in a way that you, you can develop a real common language for what you're um, addressing in your marriage. Do you have any specific advice for newlyweds or engaged couples on the beginning of a long-term relationship journey? Hmm, let's see. I don't do a lot of premarital counseling. Basically, um, I would encourage them. And when I have done premarital counseling, I've done some work on their fit, like why, how their families of origin, the families they grew up in, handle things like money, like control, like um, decision making. Um, their sexual life, how, you know, I, the, the differences in the families they grew up in are very, very important. And a couple can somewhat naively believe that they, they don't have to think about any of that because they're just going to do something different, right? Or they're going to do exactly what their parents did. But unfortunately, often that's not the same because we're ne not necessarily drawn to people who come from the exact kind of families we come from. In fact, usually not. So, um, you know, these things that you fall in love with about someone that may have been direct reflections of the family they grew up in, um, you know, really begin to irk you and disappoint you later. So I think doing some of that work uh, is really important. Um, you know, what did you learn from your family that you want to emulate? What did you learn from your family that you don't want to have any part of? And how does that fit together? 
Is there any advice you'd give our single listeners or those who are casually dating that are searching for love? Yes. People often say to me things like whether they're single because they've never gotten partnered or married, or whether they're single because they're divorced um, or widowed, perhaps. One of the things that I see people make terrible mistakes doing, doing is they go from one relationship to another far too quickly. And I will say that this is the least, this is the least followed advice I ever give, okay? Because this is the advice. Wait. When you've had one relationship that's been meaningful to you, you have to grieve that relationship. And you have to learn what you did, what you were like, that was a part of the responsibility of that relationship not working or falling through or whatever. And so often what we do is we start looking for the next best relationship before we've ever healed, ever grieved, ever learned anything really. And even though the package of the person who you choose next might look different than the person who you just finished dating, you, if you haven't taken the time to learn, you haven't changed. So you're going to bring the same problems into the new relationship that you had in the old one. And I just, so I think that it, it takes some time. How much time is very unique. But, but what I see people doing is going from relationship to relationship to relationship. Um, and sometimes they also have this laundry list of what they're looking for, which is very, very, um, it's way too long. <laughs> and so you, you can you can have so many people not meet those expectations that you can get into real trouble. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for all of the great information in today's show. Our listeners can find all the links to your book and the resources mentioned in the show notes to this podcast episode and on our website, idopodcast.com. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Sarah and Chase, thank you so very much. Hey, Love Tribe. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the important links are on the show notes page on our website at idpodcast.com. And while you're over there, we hope you check out our 14-day happy couple challenge, as well as all the free resources we have on our website. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com